0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner, and this was a special episode, number 50. It's hard to believe, 50 episodes. It literally feels like yesterday that I started this podcast, and I am super grateful for anyone who has been around since day one. I'm actually grateful for all of you. If you are listening to this, I appreciate you. Uh, But today, I had Marcy Nevin on, to do the number fifty episode, and we had a great conversation. Um, this was, you know, I actually didn't know where we were going to go with this conversation, but it ended up being um, super valuable. A lot of amazing takeaways. We talked about mindset. We talked about common struggles. We talked about her journey. We talked about nutrition. We talked training. Um, we literally covered a lot of topics, and just. Um, a whole bunch of wisdom that she brought to the table and just a really enjoyable and and fun conversation. So I know that you guys are going to like it. And if you do, can you please do me a favor, share it on Instagram and tag me at coach coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. should probably know my own IG handle and tag Marcy at Marcy Nevin. Hope you enjoy the episode. All right, guys. I am joined by a very special guest today, and it's actually our fiftieth episode, so it's even more special. Um, So there are certain people out there when you are looking through the vast world of the internet, and there's just so much information out there. But there are certain people where their message just sticks out, and that is one hundred percent the case for my guest, Marcy Nevin. Uh, I don't even know where I first came across uh, your. I found you on IG somehow, and um, like I said, your message just stuck. It it made sense. I love people who deliver information in such a practical way, and you definitely do that. Um, so first of all, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and I really appreciate the kind words, Mike.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we get into all of the good stuff that we're going to chat about today, I want to just um, hear more about your background. I love to hear kind of how everybody got into the space and just, um, you know, your first introduction to fitness and kind of your journey and then what made you realize like, hey, I want to do this for the rest of my life?
1: Okay, so I'll try to keep it brief as possible because when I get on podcasts, I can be long winded when it comes to my background. But basically growing up, I was a really active kid. So involved in tons of sports, I pretty much played everything that you could be involved in. And I was still a little bit overweight. So I would say when I was maybe in 4th or 5th grade I kind of noticed that I was gaining weight that I didn't look the same as all my friends. I couldn't eat the food that they could eat and still stay, you know, thin and I became really self-conscious of that. So despite all the activity I was doing, I was like what is going on? Like I just I don't feel good about myself. What can I do? So I took it upon myself to start, I'll call it formally exercising. And during the summer, I spent a lot of time at home because my parents worked full time. And so I would be watching infomercials and things like that. And I came across this product called The Firm. So it was basically a weight training program. and. I don't know how I came up with the money at 12 years old, but I did. And I bought it and I started using it. So I was doing that. It was basically, you know, lightweights. I tried some different types of like aerobics tapes and things like that, thinking that I was going to get in shape. And while I really enjoyed it, I learned pretty quick. Okay. Even though I'm doing all this exercise, I'm not really making any progress. I'm not noticing the results. So I finally reached out to my mom who had kind of been a chronic dieter and said, I really want to lose some weight, you know, what should I do? So first she told me to eat low fat and then she told me to, you know, cut out sugar and all of that. And again, like it just didn't really stick. So by the time I got to, I think it was my freshman year of high school, my mom had started doing Weight Watchers. And she said, well, why don't you join the program with me? So I did. She taught me how to count points and do all that. And as much as I hate to admit it, because like, I would never <laughs> advocate for Weight Watchers now, it was the thing that kind of moved the needle for me. So the fact that I finally like saw some results and saw some progress and was really feeling better about myself had gained some confidence. It was like, okay, I'm going to take what I've learned and kind of make it my own, so to speak. And I'm going to educate myself more on nutrition, training, all of that. So by the time I was a sophomore, I was reading, you know, the muscle and fitness hers magazines, oxygen magazine, pretty much like anything I could get my hands on. So yeah, I was going to the gym pretty much. I mean, Quite often when I was about 15. And sometimes I would go in the morning before work with my mom. Sometimes I went with my high school boyfriend and I did a lot of cardio, but I also did lift weights and things finally started to shift. So by the time I got to my senior year of high school, I was introduced to Body for Life. Are you familiar with that?
0: I'm actually not. No.
1: Not. How I'm, old are you, Mike?
0: I'm 35
1: okay, we're the same age. I'm really surprised. Um, so this guy, Bill Phillips, he was the founder of EAS, which was a huge supplement company at the time. And he had this book, Body for Life, which is basically three days of weightlifting, three days of cardio intervals, six small meals a day. And then on Sunday, you could have like an all out cheat meal. So I did that for a while. And yeah, that's kind of just like what really like transformed my body in a sense. Um, And then when I went to college, that is when I was introduced to, like we were talking about earlier, T nation and just kind of the more like intense way of training, (laughs) so to speak. And I met some guys at the 24 hour fitness where I was a member, they were trainers and they became my mentors and I was just learning more under them. And they encouraged me to get my personal training certification, which I did, not really thinking that I would do anything with it. Um, but once I graduated, I got a job in outside sales and realized right away, like, I'm terrible at this. I hate it. So I ended up being fired from my second sales job. And I was like, well, I need something to do while I figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life and started personal training. And here I am 10 years later still doing it. That's so
0: awesome. I'm always so envious of people who get started at a young age. Um, I didn't find fitness until later. I mean, I was an athlete growing up, but like true lifting and nutrition, all of that, like I didn't find that until much later in life. Um, But I think that what's interesting about your story is that you went through like Weight Watchers and then The Body for Life. and, um, And when I look at the content that you put out now, you have just like a very... Practical approach, um, you're able to take information and kind of bridge that gap between like science information and practical application, which I think is sorely missing in the space. So I'm curious as to like from your experience at such a young age, how you think that just you had the wherewithal to not fall into kind of the chronic dieter's mindset or going down the path of like over restricting and and that sort of thing.
1: Oh uh, well, I did. Okay. <laughs> I, I love that part out. So, um, even though I, okay, so like, let me back up a little bit. I graduated high school weighing about 108 pounds. So I was a healthy weight. You know, if anyone was to see me, like I looked good, I didn't have a whole lot of muscle. I still don't to this day. Like I think I'm just more of a, not really like an ectomorph, but I'm small boned. I just like don't build muscle very easily, um, despite how hard I work at it. Uh, so I never really like looked how I wanted to look, right? And when I got to college and I became introduced to all of these like fitness magazines, well, I guess I was introduced to them in high school, but like really starting to consume the information, it was like you know, 45 minutes of cardio, six days a week, and you have to lift on top of that. And you've got to eat the six small meals. Like that's the information that I was consuming and I didn't know any better. Right. So I was trying to follow along those protocols thinking that if I did, I was going to look like the figure competitor on the magazine with these, like, you know, this wide back and these popping, uh, delts, which I always wanted. And, I was doing everything that they were recommending in the magazines and not making any progress. I think because I was just like, I wasn't fueling my body properly. I was probably eating a thousand calories a day. I was doing tons of cardio, didn't really know about progressive overload. So I was following a body part split, which I don't think was right for me to really build muscle. Um, Yeah. So I did all of the wrong things. Again, thinking that I was doing it properly, but not really having the education that I do now. So I will say I definitely developed a disordered relationship with food while I was in college. I got really thin. I probably weighed 95 pounds at one point you know, my friends became concerned, they kind of ostracized me, they wrote letters to my parents saying that they were worried about me. And that was kind of a wake up call, like, okay, I need to change something. So I did put on a little bit of weight towards the end of college, ended up actually graduating around 108 pounds, but looking differently than I did in high school at the same weight. And then from there uh, is when I really started to learn more, I hired online coaches who we're taking a more flexible approach to dieting and training and all that. So it was probably when I was about like 23, 24 that I began to shift my focus to what I am practicing and educating people on now.
0: Okay, cool. Um, Yeah, yeah, so I think that um, when you mentioned going through the six meal a day protocol and like expecting the results that you're seeing on magazines, what are some other like, paradigm shattering moments that you can remember where you believe something to be true. And then as you evolved as, as a coach and, um, throughout your journey that you were like, oh, wow, I can't believe I used to believe in that. Or are there any things that, that stand out that you were like, originally, this is how it's supposed to be done and, and I'm doing exactly what I should. But then later on, as you continue to educate yourself, you're like, okay, that, that was totally bro science or just not really. Um, oh,
1: for sure. Great question. Uh, fasted cardio. Absolutely. I am not an advocate for that now. Like if people want to do it, that's great. But I definitely believe that if I did not start my day with at least 45 minutes on the step mill or running on the treadmill, that I was not going to be able to lose body fat. So fasted cardio, I mean, really just cardio in general, like I did so much when I was younger I think because I was afraid of gaining body fat, but again, not really having the knowledge that I needed to prioritize lifting and lifting heavy using progressive overload if I wanted to actually build a physique. So cardio was not going to do that. And I took so many step classes, you know, thinking that like the glute kickbacks with no resistance was going to get rid of the cellulite on the back of my legs. (laughs) It was just... (laughs) it was ridiculous so that was that's probably the biggest one and then just the the good versus bad food mentality so i talk about this a lot in my instagram which is in college i pretty much lived on a diet of egg beaters i can't believe it's not butter protein powder oatmeal sugar free jello steamed vegetables and like all the caffeine <laughs> and sugar free gum to like curb my cravings. So yeah, that good food versus bad food, you know, clean eating mentality, thinking that if I veered off that, I was going to gain weight.
0: Yeah. And I I love that you went there because mindset is something that I talk about all the time. My belief is that it's the limiting factor for most people. Uh, we, We all kind of know what to do. It's just, there's a lot of mindset hurdles that come up along the way and, and it's, it's not easy, and there's a lot of challenges that come up when you're you're trying to pursue better health and fitness and you know really not having the mindset piece taken care of um, it's not you know I always say that if you Kind of chase physical results without the mindset piece. It's only going to be temporary. Um, you have to have both. And typically, if you just focus on the the mental side of things, the physical will be will come as a side effect. But um, I want to I want to know kind of a little bit more about what that journey looked like for you. That process of going from dichotomous thinking, good versus bad. Uh, you know, these are the foods I'm allowed to eat versus these are the foods that I can't. Um, and how you got to that place where you understand now that, you know, no food is inherently good or bad.
1: Yeah. So like I said earlier, I hired my first online coach and this guy, his name's Eric Ledeen. He has a company called Lean Bodies Consulting. Not sure if you're familiar with him, but I would say he was one of the pioneers of Mm -hmm. online training and he was doing this, gosh, probably, I hired him around 10 or 11 years ago and he had already been doing it for a while. I found him on some forum. I can't remember the name of it now. And I was like, this is going to be the guy to like transform my physique. He's going to be the one who transforms me into a figure competitor. So I hired him and it was a good experience overall. He did put me on a meal plan, which again today, like I'm not a proponent of meal plans for many reasons. But I think that because he was telling me what foods to eat, I trusted him and believed like, okay, if this, is guy, if this guy is telling me that I can eat oatmeal and potatoes, and it really was carbs that I feared more than anything, um, even cheese, things like that was on my meal plan, then it is okay. So he, he allowed me to like trust the process, if that makes sense. So when I hired him, I still was very much like I had a very restricted mindset around food. And then I get this meal plan and it was all the foods that I had been avoiding specifically. He allowed us to eat any type of low fat carbohydrate. So long as it stayed within a certain like amount of carbs based on like what our goal was post-workout. So I was eating things like cereal, frozen yogurt, candy, like all this stuff that I had put off limits, but that I really craved and wanted to eat. And I allowed myself to do that. And I got shredded. (laughs) Like, again, like I still wasn't as big as I wanted to be like muscularity wise, but I got really, really lean. And I was like, okay, this works. So again, not a proponent of the meal plan, but the fact that I was allowed to eat those foods in moderation and still get the results. That's when I realized like, okay, everything that I have been doing was complete bullshit. And this is the way to go.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I think it also illustrates an important point that context is so important because, you know, the whole post-workout anabolic window, um, it was overblown for a long period of time. And now like current research and science shows that um, it's really not, you know, all that it's made out to be. Uh, If we look at total macros and calories, that's going to reign supreme than trying to, you know, capitalize on this magical window. Um, But on the flip side of that, just because the literature says something, that doesn't mean that there's not application. I think just the fact that you realized, hey, I can eat these foods, even if you know, you believed at the time that it was because of the post-workout window or whatever the case may be. Um, I had a similar experience where I, you know, was basically orthorexic and had these off-limit foods. I was so, you know, strict with my thinking. Um, And it was that mentality of, oh, my, you know, my body's going to put these carbs right to my muscles. Like, it was just this, even though, you know, the thought process was a little bit, you know, skewed, but it got me to Believe that there are no, you know, that I could incorporate, you know, more flexibility into my diet. And then that carried over um, as I continued to evolve and grow. So I think that um, context is king, you know, when, when just because something says, you know, that whatever research study shows one thing, that doesn't mean that there's not application in another area like mindset. Um, so I'm curious as like the whole low-carb mentality, fearing carbs, Um, is that something that you think is still prevalent? Um, You know, I know that keto has made kind of a comeback, and that's pretty popular now. But do you think that we've kind of moved away from that line of thinking, or that it's still pretty prevalent today?
1: Oh, I think it's still absolutely prevalent, unfortunately. And I'm not to... like I'm not saying that keto doesn't have an application for a certain subset of individuals. Like I, I do believe in genetics somewhat. So one of my favorite sayings is genetic loads, the gun environment pulls the trigger. I know myself based on genetic testing that I am a carrier of the APOE four gene, which sets me up for heart disease, Alzheimer's, all of that. So if, you know, 70 years old, I develop Alzheimer's, I may try a ketogenic diet at that point, right? But I think for the average person who is fairly healthy, who is active, you know, somewhat active, not just completely sedentary, um, does not have these pre-existing conditions like epilepsy or anything neurological that keto can have an application for, that it is way overblown and it's just kind of that fad diet to get people to lose weight. And it is so prevalent. I mean, even at Trader Joe's, which is like my very favorite place, they are now ca- carrying a keto collagen supplement, right? So it's like keto is just branded all over the place too, which is kind of ridiculous and overblown. I mean, not to say that it can't work for people. I know I have a friend of mine who uses it and... I mean, he's a really in-shape, muscular guy who trains hard, has a great physique. Do I think he needs a ketogenic diet? Absolutely not, but it it works for him and it works for his lifestyle and he's able to sustain it. So while I don't think it is the end-all be-all way to lose weight and get in shape, I if it works for people, fine, but I do see that you know people are using it and it's not sustainable for them. so it's like, know thyself, right? (laughs) Try it. And if you can sustain it and you enjoy it, fine. But don't think it's going to be like the holy grail.
0: Yeah, totally agree. And again, coming back to context, uh, you know, for most people, and and I typically work with mostly females who are who are active. They like to lift weights. They you know like to CrossFit or you know do spin class or Orange Theory or whatever the case may be. Highly glycolytic activities where keto is like the absolute worst approach. And I think that somehow we got into. Uh, you know, I think probably like CrossFit and Paleo somehow got paired together, and I don't know like why that was the case, but it seems like that that continues to be pushed. That you know we don't look at the actual energy demands, um, and especially, and I hate to you know make it gender specific, but the reality is that there are more hormonal risk when you're, you know, a female athlete who's trying to remove carbs, which are so important for, you know, thyroid function and for, you know, providing the necessary fuel for the actual activity that you're doing. Uh, What are your thoughts on that?
1: Amen. I am so glad you brought that up because that's something that I have talked about many times on my Instagram and you are spot on. Again, I think that there are some unicorns out there, you know, females who can be on a low carb diet, a ketogenic type diet, you know, do really intense CrossFit um, type of training and thrive, but I do not think that's the majority. And like you said, I would always err on the side of caution when prescribing a diet like that to a very active female, especially someone who is already stressed out. Like who these days, isn't stressed out. We all are. And I think a lot of people don't take into consideration the fact that dieting is a stressor, training is a stressor, lack of sleep, financial concerns, like all of that is a stressor. And like exactly what you said, if you are also on a low carb diet as a female, that's basically sending a signal to your body that, Hey, we are not being fed. Even if maybe like you're taking in an appropriate amount of calories, That lack of glucose from the carbohydrates is sending the signal that, hey, like we're kind of in a famine based state um, because the thyroid needs glucose to be activated and all of that. Um, Our hormones need it for, you know, to function properly. So yeah, I think it's like a very, very slippery slope and try it and see. But I would always proceed with caution if I was a woman going on a low carb diet. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And I think what wrecked me, like, I'll be completely honest. Um, I'm 35 years old. Like I said, I started training when I was like 15. Um, But really, you know, the restrictive dieting when I was around 18, maybe, and I got out of it eventually. But I think that I put so much stress on my body with the under eating, I mean, calories and carbs all of the training that I was doing, all of the cardio, the hit type workouts, things like that. I just wrecked my hormones and I didn't know any better. And I'm still to this day trying to dig myself out of that hormonal mess, essentially. Yeah. You know, it screwed me up. I developed an autoimmune disease, like all these other things. Like I'm still, I don't think I have Hashimoto's, but I'm still like subclinically hypothyroid, right? Yeah. Even though, I'm doing all the right things. So
0: I think that's an important point because a lot of people think, you know, it's like, I've been sending this signal to my body for years and all right, well, I'm just going to eat at maintenance for like a month and everything's going to be better. It's like the, you're, it's, it takes a while. Like think about how long it took you to get to that point And that's, kind of where we need to think about time frame for getting out of it. And obviously everybody's different, but um, I think that's typically a rude awakening when you realize that um, getting things back to quote unquote normal, um, it it can be a long and arduous process. So um, that's why, you know, I think the information that you're putting out is so valuable to stop people from making those same mistakes so that they don't have to end up in that position. Um, Is that typically kind of like the most common thing that you see uh, with people coming to you uh, just like in an under eating background who are overly stressed and throwing, you know, excess cardio and um, stuff onto their body? And is that like typically what what you deal with mostly?
1: Yeah, you know, it's kind of 50-50, I would say. So I do have quite a few clients who have come to me with that background. And then I also have the clientele who have just been eating way too much and not moving enough. So it just kind of depends on the person. But I would say, yeah, I have an equal mix of both.
0: Yeah. And how do you kind of craft your message of everything is individualized? Everything depends on context, because I think you do a really good job of, of painting a picture that's easy to digest and it's very practical. But, you know, I often find that challenge because literally everybody's different. So I can say something that could apply to, you know, a certain subset, but then could be totally irrelevant, you know, in certain contexts. So um, how do you kind of balance that where you have, you know, certain things that might apply to, like you talked about the more of the couch potato who you're just trying to get them into some healthy habits versus the chronic dieter and everything in between?
1: hmm That's a really great question. Um, I mean, I think I just try to discuss it like in the caption itself. Like I'm really into the infographics. That's what built my audience and probably is the reason why, you know, you found me too, because those are very digestible, but you can only say so much in an infographic, right? So they're great at capturing that immediate attention, but I'm hoping that people read the caption because that is where I will usually expand on what I said in the image and oftentimes it is like hey this may not apply to everybody right it is individualized it is case dependent and like you just do the best you can at the end of the day knowing that I mean it's not going to apply to everybody right and and it's hard it really is tricky and of course you're going to get all of those trolls coming out of the woodwork who want to bash your message. Um, But I just do the best I can to in the caption kind of summarize what I'm trying to get across, but also saying, you know, you still have to like try it and see what works for you, you know?
0: For sure. Uh, and I think, you know, for me, I always try and touch on the mindset piece, even though it's like not super exciting and it, you know, not a lot of people are going to like race to read a, a mindset post. But I think it's the one that applies across the board. Like if there's certain things that if we can build that foundation of a strong mindset, then the methodology or the actual way that we get there um, doesn't really matter. Whatever, like whatever is going to feel sustainable, make you feel your best and all of the individual variables that we talk about. um, that part of it, you know, I'm not as concerned with. It's like if we can get you to a place where, you know, you feel good about what you're doing and you know that, hey, this is for life. I need to be really patient. I need to expect failure. I need to, you know, have some discipline and consistency and all the things that come with it, um, then that's like a great starting point we can build from there. Um, so I want to talk just a little bit more about like the the mindset side of things, if you're cool with that. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Talk to me about like walking somebody through the process of kind of going through a little bit about what you went through, where they they have a very, um, you know, black and white line of thinking. It's all or nothing. It's either, you know, I'm perfect, stick to the plan or I'm, you know, all off or, you know, good foods versus bad foods and that sort of thing. Like, like, where do you start with that person? and, And just from like a mindset perspective.
1: Okay, here's where I get a little woo woo. So bear with me. Um, I think a lot of what people struggle with has very little to do with their current situation, their present day issues, and it all goes back to childhood. And I would even say like childhood trauma in a sense. So I'll use myself as an example. Um, Like I guess my core wound, if you would call it, is not being seen. So feeling like I was always overshadowed by other people um, really wanting like my dad's attention and not necessarily getting that feeling like I was never good enough that I was always like the ugly duckling, if that makes sense. Like when I went comparing myself to my friends. And so I used fitness as a way to try to transform my body so that I would finally be seen and accepted and loved and all that. So I find that for a lot of people, like there's something in their past that is limiting their ability to get results right now. And maybe that's, you know, people pleasing, or maybe that's, you know, seeing like how their family used food. So food was a reward, right? It wasn't just like fuel and nourishment. It's how we comforted ourselves. So we all have these stories that we have developed from a very young age that we now are taking into our present day. And unless we start to rewrite those stories, then we're going to keep making the same mistakes over and over again right? Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, super powerful. And I'm so glad you went that direction. And it literally becomes ingrained, because you start to see the world through those exact lens. So it just becomes, like, you tell yourself this story, you repeat it, you see everything through that filter, and it just becomes, you know, deeper ingrained. Um, And, and that's so important to just unpack that and understand where it came from. And the fact that it's oftentimes, Mm -hmm an external source that put that thought or put that story into our brain Um, so there's actually no uh, veracity to it anyway that it's just you know something that somebody told us like I, I always use the example for myself that when I was in school I had a teacher who just told me I wasn't a good writer and I believed that for years and I avoided writing because that just became the story I told myself so of course I wasn't a good writer when I got to college because I hadn't written anything like I was you know I was just living out this story and then all of a sudden I realized where it came from, that it was one person's opinion of like one paper that I did or whatever it was. And then I started writing and actually put in the reps that it takes to get better at something. And, and then I was like, you know what, I'm a pretty good writer. I'm going to keep doing this. And that was just one example where this story where I was just, it was just something that I believed to be true. It wasn't until I took the time to, like, unpack why I even thought that about myself and realized, like, I've been believing this all along and there's actually no validity to it. Um, But, you know, so many times, and it's the same thing with, you know, I hear people are like, well, um, I'm just not good at X diet or X exercise, whatever it may be. Like, they place these firm statements on themselves um, that end up just being self-limiting beliefs uh, that prevent them from even trying and then it confirms for them what they already believe to be true, um, if that makes any sense.
1: Oh, you nailed it! Okay, I'm going to give you two examples. Like, I'm getting really fired up right now. So one is, I'll use myself as an excuse me as an example, and very similar to what you just said. So when I was in college, I was a journalism major, and I had a magazine editing and public relations emphasis. And I had to do all of these projects for magazine editing in Photoshop, page maker, things like that. I had no experience with it. And I was taking these classes, trying to do these projects and I could not figure it out. And I was like, screw this. Like I can't do it. I was getting so frustrated. And I literally had to have my classmates, Finish the projects for me. Like that is the way I got through journalism school. I was a really good writer. Like I did well when it came to the writing assignments, but when it came to the creative assignments, could not do it. So that is a story that I created for myself. I'm not creative. I'm terrible with technology. So when I was trying to build my online fitness business, you know, the infographic thing really wasn't um, it wasn't prevalent. And I was just taking poorly lit pictures of my food and my dog and some training photos and things like that. So then I met Jordan Syat, who I'm sure you're familiar with. And he, I did some business coaching with him and I said, Jay, I really don't want to have to do the infographics. Like, do you think I need to do them? He's like, well, you don't have to do anything, but I would really suggest you at least try because if not, you're going to get left behind. And he's like, and that being said, I want you to create and put up an infographic by Thursday. And this was our conversation was on Tuesday. I was like, but no, like I can't do it. I'm not creative. I'm not good with technology. So that old story was coming into play into my reality. So I did not want to let him down. That's kind of my personality type. So I figured it out and put together a really shitty looking infographic, put it up and it got like 700 likes. I had like a thousand followers at the time. I was like, oh my gosh, like, he's right this works so they slowly got better and now here i am you know with almost 80,000 followers so if i continue to believe that story and let that be a roadblock and not even try you and i would not be having this conversation right now like i can promise you that you know um so that is one and then really quickly an example of a good friend of mine who is also a coach So she had kind of transformed her body, but was really struggling with binge eating. And she reached out to me this time last year to hold her accountable. And I was like, okay, I just think you work too hard. You don't have enough self-care in your life, enough stress management. So you're using food to unwind, so to speak. And she's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we tweaked some things and she was doing that and made some good progress, but then started to binge again. And at the time I was reading the book called The Big Leap. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, yeah. So I was reading that and I was like kind of using that psychology on her. And I was like, like, let's go back a little ways. So is there ever a time or was there ever a time when someone said something to you that you took as truth? Like about your body, about just like who you are as a person. And like she went silent. and. Started to cry. She's like, Oh my gosh, yes. Like, I had this boss a couple of years ago when I was an architect who we went on like a bike ride or whatever. And the woman said to me, Wow, Sam, you're way more athletic than you look. And she took that as truth. And so, anytime she started to make progress towards a physique goal, that voice um, kind of was like ringing in her ear. And she would binge because she did not think that she was ever going to be able to build the type of physique that she wanted, that she would always be strong and athletic, but she wouldn't be able to like be lean at the same time. And it was all from that one comment that that woman said. So it's really going back to what you said. It takes one person. Like we don't remember all of the other positive compliments that people have said about us We always remember the one negative one. And that's what we attach to. So, unless we rewrite that story, it's always going to be our limiting factor.
0: So true. And just perfect illustrations of why, again, mindset is literally the most important thing. Um, So, now it's hands down confirmed. I I always said, in my opinion, but now I'm just going to state it as fact. Um, But I, I think, you know, again, what you're talking about, I actually just in my little like client group talked about negativity bias and it's so true we have like this protective mechanism in our brain where we are able to kind of like the negative parts of a situation have more impact on our emotional state and our mindset than the positive even if there's more positives than negative for some reason we have this negativity bias that they impact us more we dwell on them more we remember them more deeply our emotions are more deeply tied to them so then we think back and it might have been An overall positive experience but then when we look back at it we only remember the negative and that kind of stirs up the same emotional reaction and then you get into this you know negative feedback loop and um so it it is just a, a fascinating thing that unfortunately we're up against as humans that we have this kind of innate protective thing that um i don't even know why from like a survival standpoint we are that way, but I'm sure there's some reason behind it. Um, I'm actually going to have to dig a little bit more into the research about that, but there are ways and, you know, as again, getting back to some of like the woo-woo stuff, but like you hear people say like practice gratitude and all of that and journal and meditate and it really truly does matter because we are up against some of that stuff. We are telling ourselves stories. We are dealing with so many self-limiting beliefs. We have, you know, just... This negativity bias, and unless we do those things, unless we have the self care practices and the mindfulness practices in place, you know, we're really climbing an uphill battle. Um, are those things that you talk about with your clients that you you know kind of put into place?
1: Yeah, definitely so. And I don't remember who it was. I've heard a few people say this at this point. I'm talking about business coaches right now, where you have to give people what they want up front, but give them what they need on the back end. So although I do talk about mindset in my infographics on in, or on Instagram, it's not a huge part of my message because I don't think people want to go there. And I almost feel like at least for the people that I have attracted, they have not come to me because I was, because they said, oh, you were talking about mindset. Right. Um, so you kind of like, Give them what they want on the front end, which is talking about the calorie deficit and you know the things that they're doing wrong, like hitting their pain point. And then once you are working with them, that's when you start to bring in all of that other stuff. So I almost feel like when people approach me for coaching, they don't really know that that's the route that we're going to go down. On the initial sales call, like I will talk about the childhood stuff and all that, and kind of say like, okay, here is what the program is going to look like. Here's what we're going to work on in it, but it's not necessarily what people come to me for. But absolutely, hands down, I Im- I incorporate all of that into my coaching.
0: Yeah, that's that's funny. My business coach says the exact same thing. He's <laughs> like, tell yeah. tell people what they want, <laughs> give them what they need. Uh, exactly. It's so true.
1: Who's your coach?
0: Jason Phillips.
1: Yeah. So Jason was one of my, not my business coach, but he was my nutrition coach for a while.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, he's yeah. a great guy. Yeah, he's uh, awesome. So you should, a yeah, 100%. Um, so you mentioned some of like the, you know, people talking about calories and some of the common mistakes that they make. Um, what are what are some of the things that you have noticed as common trends, themes that um, a lot of people get wrong that you're able to kind of steer them in the right direction, whether it be like we talked about the, you know, black and white thinking, but more from like a, either from a training or nutrition standpoint that it's just like, all right. Um, you know, this is something that keeps coming up that I realize is a, a common issue. Oh
1: God. I mean, ever going back to the cardio thing, like everybody thinking that they need to do cardio to get the results. And I'm not saying that, that's like a hundred percent true. I think that it can be effective. Like right now I'm doing a fair amount of cardio cause I'm in a fat loss phase. Uh, but just, it's not, it's not like the thing that's going to get you the physique that you want. Right. So, and especially for women. So I would love to see a, um, well, let me back up a little bit. I'm all for movement in general and exercise and I want people to do what makes them feel good so, I know women, they love their orange theory and their soul cycle, and like those boot camp classes that make them breathless and sweating and feeling like they got their ass kicked. Like, that's what they associate with a productive workout. So, I have to really encourage my clients, especially my in person clients, my female in person clients, okay, please rest in between sets. <laughs> like, I want you to be lifting as heavy as possible because that is what's truly going to transform your physique. Like if you come to me saying that you want bigger glutes, like it's not going to happen on the step mill or doing plyometrics and all these like band exercises, like, you know, it has its time and its place, but like work on getting strong. Like that is the thing that I am trying to emphasize and preach (laughs) in my content with my clients that, you know, like, that's really the game changer, so to speak. Yeah.
0: So many benefits, just not from a physique standpoint, but longevity for your metabolism, like that so many things. Exactly. Like,
1: you know, you get your first chin up and you feel like a fuck, excuse my language, but you feel like a badass, yeah. you know?
0: You can curse on here. It's all good.
1: <laughs> okay, good. See, <laughs> um, so I would say from a training perspective, that would be number one. From a nutrition perspective, definitely the black or white thinking and um, the all or nothing mentality. That's what I see people struggle with a lot. So, you know, letting one bad meal turn into a whole week's worth of overeating rather than just seeing it as, okay, I screwed up. I'm just going to get right back on track, you yeah. know?
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm curious your take on macros versus intuitive eating um, mm-hmm. and just your, your kind of overall philosophy on both.
1: Well, I shouldn't say
0: I, I should phrase that differently. I shouldn't say macros versus intuitive eating. I should say your thoughts on macros and intuitive eating.
1: So I was listening to a friend's podcast yesterday where she was talking about macros and why she believes in macros. At least when people are starting out, I think that we have such a skewed perception as to what a healthy portion size looks like. So going back to women, because that is primarily who I work with, they are probably going to overemphasize carbs and fats and underemphasize protein. That is very common. And I would rather see it skewed the opposite way. So women are prior whoever prioritizing protein um, and then eating an appropriate amount of carbs and fats for their body type, for their for their goals. So I think that tracking can be very, very important for somebody who is new to this and has no awareness as to what a proper portion size actually looks like, or has no awareness as to how much food they're actually eating. You know, um, so all of those like bites, looks, and tastes like that's something that I talk about all the time. The sneaky calories like in your coffee creamer and the oils that you're cooking with that just because you don't. See it necessarily doesn't mean you're not ingesting the calories. So I think that macro tracking can be very helpful for that, or in that regard. Also, like I said, for helping people overcome a poor relationship with food. Like it was macro counting that again gave me that trust within myself that okay, I can eat these foods so long as it fits within like my numbers um, and still get the results. Now, is it something that you should do forever? I don't think so. But going back to that podcast, I kind of lost my train of thought. But what my friend was saying was that she had heard a quote saying something along the lines of intuitive eating is like getting a PhD in nutrition. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting because I think that it can be difficult for people. Like, not everyone has, or not really, not everyone is in tune with their hunger and fullness cues. Right. For me, I'm like a bottomless pit. So I don't get full that easily. I can eat and eat and eat and like keep eating. Whereas my boyfriend, who is a 250-pound power lifter, takes three bites, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm so full. Like if he listened to that, he would not have squatted a thousand pounds because he would still be that like 180 pound self, right? Um, whereas me, if I did not like keep things in control. I would probably gain a lot of weight because my appetite does not um, correlate to how much I need to be eating. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, for sure. We're in total alignment there and very similar in the fact that like I often joke that I don't actually know what fullness feels like because I've never actually felt it.
1: (laughs) I really don't. (laughs) I literally
0: could keep, yeah. That's so funny. Um, but I think it's important because especially with like how our lifestyles are now and like you talked about earlier, just the amount of stress that everybody's under and like the one of the best ways to throw off your body's signaling is through chronic stress and like literally what we're dealing with on a daily basis, just running around. A lot of people don't even sit down to eat or to, like take their time and then you've like, you're trying to get kids off to school or you're, you're standing at the counter or you've got the TV on, you're looking at your phone, like all things that just distract us from actually being intuitive or in tune. Um, so I totally agree with that. I think ultimately, um, you know, kind of taking somebody through that progress, progression of creating awareness, tracking macros, understanding what's in, in your food, how it makes you feel connecting those dots. And then you've kind of, you know, built that, you know, awareness piece. And then, you know, eventually get to the point where you can do things intuitively. Um, And then obviously everybody's different. Like for me, um, tracking macros is not a stress. It's not, it's not even something that I think twice about anymore. It doesn't cause any sort of uh, obsessive behaviors or anything like that. Like it once did for me, but I was able to get to a point where now it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not an added stressor. And I think that for some people, we just have to be aware of certain triggers and, and why they're having those feelings and work through that. It's not the macros itself. There's typically something else going on.
1: Exactly. So a couple of things that I want to touch on there, which I love that you brought that up one being stress. And I alluded to this earlier, we're all stressed. But stress affects people in different ways. So for someone like myself, when I get stressed, I want to emotionally eat. (laughs) There are other people who, when they get stressed, their hunger response shuts down. So if we were using an intuitive eating approach with someone like that, who was really stressed and they can't even feel their hunger cues throughout the day, you know, maybe they're like a high powered exec who's just like, go, go, go all day long. They're not stopping to eat, they're not feeling the hunger. And then once they're off work, they come home and they're like, oh, like I can finally breathe. And that stress is maybe diminished. Then they're ravenous and they they binge, you know? So I think that having some structure in place for those people is really important. And one of my favorite quotes is structure leads to freedom, which is why, like you said. I still count macros to this day. I enjoy it. I I feel like I need it for myself. Could I intuitively eat at this point? Yeah, absolutely. But I could also count macros in my sleep without it affecting me and without it being a stressor. Like I kind of, I like that structure. I know it works for me. So again, you got to take the individualized approach which I know is something that you preach and I think is very important. So for some people, Tracking may be one more stressor that they can't deal with. Um, For others, it may be the thing that, that they need to keep them on track and just knowing the individual. Yeah. And rather than intuitive eating, I would like to call it like mindful eating. So, going back to what you said about sitting down, taking a deep breath, you know, chewing your food fully, not being distracted. All of that is like really important for helping us tune in to our hunger and fullness cues as best as possible. Yeah,
0: for sure. And we didn't even touch on the fact that the kind of food engineering industry is like a multi trillion dollar industry that is literally designed to make more sales, i.e., get people to eat more and more of what they're creating. So, like, there's a lot that's, you know, it's just, it's not like things were from an evolutionary standpoint. Now we're dealing with, you know, food that is designed to be over consumed. And, um, mm-hmm. so that adds a whole nother layer of complication onto it.
1: Oh, it sure does. Absolutely. Yes. Those hyper palatable foods that override the dopamine response, yep, you know, exactly. It's, uh, it's so true. Like once you, I don't know what brand it is, like Lay's or something. You no, know? once you start, you can't stop something yeah, like that. that. You
0: can't eat just but one. No, yeah, it's
1: so yeah. True.
0: yeah so, exactly. Um, so I wanted to talk about something, um, that I think you had posted about relatively recently and it made me think about like our earlier conversation about self-limiting beliefs and the stories that we tell ourselves. And this one might be more of a societal thing, but you had done a post about age and basically saying like, your age is not an excuse for you to, you know, whatever. Like I, I see this all the time. I'll be on a, uh, you know, an intake call or something and, um, without even realizing that they're doing it, a lot of, you know, the people that I talk to will be like, well, you know, I'm not really seeing results because I'm 50 or because I'm 39 or because I'm 60. And they always just use that little preface of like, I'm not where I want to be because my hormones are crazy because I'm this age. And I literally hear it all the time. And, and you had done a post recently about that, how just because you're a certain age, that doesn't mean that you can't make progress. It might be a little bit more challenging or there may be some things that we need to consider. Um, but um, I think it's probably more of like a societal story that's like, well, when you get older, then you know you lose all your strength and whatever. And, and I'm just curious your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And I think it is definitely a societal issue at this point because if we're looking at TV commercials or advertisements for something like a prescription drug that is trying to treat an ailment that comes with age, yeah, we see all these people who are, you know, somewhat like incapacitated and, or maybe they're not in great shape. They're not muscular and strong. You don't see them. They're not portraying them in the gym with these, you know, like kind of like lean muscular physiques. So we automatically think that is what's going to happen when I get old or as I age, like I am going to decline. And there's all this talk about, you know, our metabolism slowing down as we age. I'm like, I don't really think your metabolism slows down so much as it, you become lazier and you're not as active. You're probably not strength training. You're probably not eating enough protein and therefore you don't have as much muscle mass Right. You're not burning as many calories. So yeah, your metabolism is, excuse me, metabolism is going to decrease, but that's the result of your lifestyle factors, not because of what your body is necessarily doing on its own. And you can always overcome that. Like you said, is it going to be a little more difficult? Sure. You know, um, hormones do shift, like testosterone decreases for women, you know, the whole Estrogen progesterone shifts, like that can that can influence where you store body fat. It can impact hunger. So, yes, it may be more difficult, but it is not impossible. And going back to the woo-woo really quick, this is a post that I want to write, and I'm sure it's going to be met with <laughs> some conflicting opinions, but there's all that talk of. Comparison and oh, you should never compare yourself to anybody, which I agree. Like comparison is the thief of joy. But I am doing some work right now around manifestation, and it's kind of a a newer. Uh, it's a different take on manifestation. So rather than like believe it and it will happen, or like say these positive affirmations, right? Like this woman's approach is look for people in your life or around you that are expanders. So people who are doing what you want to do and use that as a positive example. So it's not really comparing. It's just saying like, okay, I'm 50. I've gained weight. I don't have a lot of muscle. So rather than looking at these people and getting down on myself, like I'm going to look at those people as a source of inspiration and, Um, and see it as like, what is possible for me, right? So I think that's kind of where we need to go is social media is wonderful and you can use it to your benefit if you can follow these people and see that they're just like me, here's what they're doing and these are the results that you're getting. So like, it is not necessarily my destiny, it is in my control.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. And that comes down to, Cultivating your environment. And now our environment is very much about social media because we're on it so much. And it's, you Mm -hmm. know, who you follow and the type of energy that you get from that. um, It really does make a difference. Like you mentioned, you know, if you're looking at an example and it kind of makes you feel bad about yourself or um, it kind of sets you up in this, you know, just not really inspirational track, then you have the power to control that. You don't have to consume anything you don't want to consume. And so I love that um, thought process of just using people that are doing what you want to be doing and using that as like a springboard, as inspiration, as, you know, I can do this too. And, um, you know, that comes down to not just who you follow on social media, but who you surround yourself in real life too, your friends and, um, you know, the people that you let into your life and just setting boundaries for yourself and knowing Mm -hmm. that if you have certain things that you want to accomplish, that may mean that somebody doesn't agree with it and that's okay, you're not for everybody, you know, and just being holding true and understanding, you know, if something's important to you, it may mean that relationships have to suffer if they're not the right person for you or they don't, you know, provide – the right type of environment that you want, then, you know, that's sometimes the unfortunate side effect of that.
1: Exactly. And it's so hard for people to set those boundaries. I was having a conversation with a client of mine just yesterday who was, she was making really good progress. And then she kind of had a little bit of a slip up. Like she started dating somebody and she already had a really active social life. So she had a lot of friends that she got together with and, you know, they would go out for drinks and dinner and things like that. And um, her business was very much centered around social gatherings. And we were talking about the whole boundary thing, how you just have to ask for what you want, you know? And a lot of that for her was these people who friends, the new boyfriend who were demanding or expecting a lot of her time. And it was throwing her off track and she was feeling really stressed out about it. And I said, like, listen, this is your life. And you you deserve to ask for what you want and what you need in order to reach your goals. And if those people can't be accepting of that, then they're not your people. And, and that's okay. At the end of the day, you know, the only constant in life is change. (laughs) So, and relationships are going to change and they're going to shift based on where we are and our own level of development and growth. And, if those things shift in a way where you can no longer be friends with somebody who isn't supportive, who who is is not helping you grow, then so be it. I and mean, it's kind of the tough love approach, but
0: yeah, needs to be said now that 100% agree. Um, so I'm curious as to what your, you mentioned you were kind of in a fat loss cycle right now. I'm curious what yeah. your nutrition and training looks like.
1: Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So I have struggled with some health issues for a really long time that I was finally able to, I don't want to say overcome because you always have an autoimmune disease. You just keep it in remission. I also have Lyme disease, which again, you never really get rid of, but you can control it. So I found the most amazing coach. His name is Vince Pitstick with Nutrition Dynamic and the man changed my life. I will say I've been talking about him quite a bit on social media. So. Back in like late March, I started working with him, and it was really with the intention of healing my body. So I had a lot of gut health issues, which I know is a really like heated topic these days, but I believe in it 100%. Once I started taking some supplements to get my gut health improved my life changed. Like I felt so much better and it was really amazing because like, not only did I have more energy and I was just feeling better overall, but like my physique started to change and he was like, okay, like, let's get you healthy. And then once you are healthy, we can kind of start working on your body because I had put on close to like 15, almost 20 pounds two years ago. So This time, 2017, I went to uh, try my hand at powerlifting and the coach made me gain 15 pounds in less than eight weeks, which on someone who is five foot two and weighed like 105 pounds at the time, like that was a lot of weight really fast. And it was not muscle. It was predominantly body fat. (laughs) And in order to train there, I had to maintain that weight. Once I realized, right, this is not the environment I want to be in. And I left. I said to myself, it would be really easy to go back to my old behaviors and try to lose this body fat. But I know that where I am health wise, like that's not really good for me right now. So I just kind of had to sit in the discomfort for a while. Um, but I was not happy with how I looked. Like it really was impacting my self esteem a little bit. So, anyway, um, once I was finally at the place where I had gotten my health, where it needed to be. Vince allowed me to enter into a fat loss phase. And I will tell you, Mike, it is amazing. Like He and I talk about it every time we check in. Like My body responded like that. It was like, put me in a deficit, add a little bit of cardio, and I just like dropped weight so easily and haven't really plateaued. Um, and I just continue to make really good progress. And it's super exciting where I haven't like had to resort to extremes in order to do it. But I think because my mindset had improved so much and I had gotten my body healthy that I was just able to make really good progress. So that's where I am right now. Still kind of in the fa- I mean, end of the fat loss phase. And then we'll see what I decide to do from there.
0: Yeah, that's great. And it kind of shows you practice what you preach and that we've been talking about you know, changing your environment if you're not happy with it, which you recognized yeah. in that powerlifting environment and then um you know, understanding the mindset side of things and knowing that you wanted to be in a good place mentally before you took on something like fat loss and um and then also, you know, believing in coaching, like coaches need coaches too. I talk about mm-hmm. this all the time, you know. I I have three coaches, I think at all times. (laughs) It's like, so different areas of my life. Um, and that's super important. So, um, I love that. How about your training? What does that look like now?
1: So uh, right now I'm actually doing Jordan science programs. He has a monthly membership called the inner circle and I really like his workouts. They just seem to work for me. So it's not necessarily powerlifting. It's kind of a, power building lat for back lack of a better word so training four days a week upper lower split which is what i seem to do best on i've tried the full body training like i did brett Contreras' workouts for quite a while i have nothing but good things to say about him he's another one of my mentors but like we were talking about before the conversation started um before the podcast started, I don't do well with like squatting, benching and deadlifting heavy all in one day. So I do better with Jordan's programs, which are one heavier workout or lift in the beginning of the session. And then the rest of it is more like functional bodybuilding. So accessory work for, you know, eight to 15 reps, something like that. So it's kind of where I thrive and what I enjoy. And that's, I think what's most important too is you cannot do a workout that you don't want to have like show up for every day. Yeah. So if you aren't, and no, we're not always going to feel motivated, but if you hate the way that you're training, which I did when I was doing that power lifting, like I literally had anxiety before I went into that place. And I was yeah. like, this is not healthy, you know?
0: Yep. So true. Uh, such yeah. a good point too. We talked about that before we started recording. Like you have to, you have to like what you do. You have to enjoy it. And, it's a great point that you don't have to be motivated. Um, that's one of my biggest pet peeves was <laughs> when people are. Like, well, I'm not motivated to get to the gym. Like, guess what? Me neither. But I still fucking went. <laughs>
1: it's, I know. And I, I was don't. Gonna,
0: you know, I, I don't. Gonna
1: put something on my stories yesterday. Like, I haven't been motivated to train legs in probably six months. Like yeah. every time leg like, day rolls around, I'm just like, fuck.
0: Yeah, but they're
1: yeah. upper body all day long. But I just I do it because, and this is something else that I talk about a lot is. I keep the promises that I make to myself, and that is where confidence comes from. That is where motivation, momentum, ultimately your results. It comes from doing the things that you don't want to do necessarily, but that you tell yourself you are going to do.
0: Yep, we could mic drop right there and end it on that. That was perfect. Um, <laughs> but it's it's so true that there's a big difference between like having the discipline to show up when you're not motivated versus actually hating the workout that you're doing and the stress that comes with it. So they're very different things. Like I can get into the gym. Today was a perfect example. I did not want to train today. I was not motivated. I went in and I still had an effective workout because I don't hate what I'm doing. I'm still able to put the effort in when I get there um, versus literally having anxiety or stress over what you're doing. Like we talked about, you know, how the, the role that hormones play in being overstressed. Like if you want to take, an activity that already increases cortisol and jack it up through the roof, like be anxious and hate your workout, and you'll see how much that can impact things.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And it's crazy too, like how my body was responding when I was doing that powerlifting. Uh, I mean, yes, I was eating in a major surplus, so I gained body fat, but I think I was just so mentally and physically stressed from the training. That my body was just holding on to so much inflammation, you know, and once I got out of that environment and did something that, you know, worked for me, everything just fell back into place, which is really great. And, you know, again, it's, I'm not always motivated to train most days, I don't want to do it. And once I get in there, you know, the workout usually is pretty good, which Feels nice. But this is something else I like to say is that I have had some of my best workouts on the days when I did not want to go, or I was like dragging my ass, or maybe I was a little bit tired. And then it ends up being a good session. So sometimes you just have to like get over that hump, like get through the first couple of hard sets, and then it's way easier.
0: Definitely. And then, you know, yeah. feel better physically and mentally. Cause like you said, keeping promises to yourself, like when you, Finish that workout and you reflect and you're like, I had every excuse to not show up and I showed up anyway and I got it done. Mm-hmm. Like that is a mental win that goes a long way.
1: Sure um, does.
0: Awesome. So I won't keep you too much longer, but um, last thing before, well, actually, how about you plug yourself before I get it to the last question and tell everybody <laughs> where they can find you and connect with you and all that good stuff.
1: Sure. Okay. So I am most active on Instagram. My handle is Marcy Nevin. My website is MarcyNevinFitness.com, which I don't do a whole lot over there. It's kind of just my Instagram transferred to my website. Um, But yeah, Instagram is the best place to find me. And then I also am now doing a podcast called Decades of Strength. So it's me and three other women. So one is in her 20s. I'm in my 30s. Then we have two women in their 40s. So it's just kind of giving the perspectives of... All of the different phases of life and what we struggle with, you know, how we've overcome those struggles, and like what we're doing now to achieve our goals. So that's been really fun. And
0: that's decades of strength.
1: Decades of strength. Oh, I love it. Yep. It's a
0: great name. Great yeah. concept. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely have to check that out. Um, awesome. So, last question: uh, What is one thing that you're excited about? It could be in your fitness. It could be in your business. It could be in your life. Like, what is something that has you? super excited right now?
1: Oh my gosh. I think just like where I am in my life in terms of doing what I love to do, helping people. I've got some amazing clients right now that I'm working with and going back to what we were talking about. um, when it comes to your environment, like I love the people that I am surrounded with, what, and it's not even in my general vicinity. Like, yes, I have a wonderful boyfriend, but most of my good friends, the people who inspire me, support me, challenge me are all people that I have met on social media and live like throughout the country, even in other countries. So I just got back from Europe with two of the girls that I do the podcast with. And like to think like 10 years ago to think that that's where I would be like, Traveling the world with people that I met on Instagram is just baffling to me, but I think that's what I'm most excited about. It's just the, the friendships that I had, the community that I've created both with my friendships and my clients and just the people who follow me, um, doing podcast interviews, like meeting people like yourself. It's just such a great place to be in.
0: Very cool. I love that. Great answer. That's amazing too that you, you did like the whole Europe trip with people you met on Instagram and all that. And to your point with like we were talking about earlier, creating that environment, following people that inspire you, using them as, you know, this is, I want to be at this place and I want to surround myself with people who are already there or who are actively pursuing it like I am. Um, It's such a powerful thing. So awesome. Well, i Appreciate your time. I will let you go. This was a great conversation. I didn't realize how many things that we would be aligned on, but um, it was a great conversation, and uh, hopefully we'll stay connected.
1: I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. This was a wonderful conversation. I'm really excited about it.
0: Awesome. We will talk soon, and take care.
1: Great, you too. Thanks, Mike.